What is going on, everyone? I'm Ed Martin. Welcome back to the Beats of the Market podcast. I can't believe I didn't say this before, but if you are looking for my music or the tracks I produce, you can find them on SoundCloud under Endorphin Cycles, or you can find them on Spotify under E-C. My music is free to use. You can use it for whatever you want. You can download it. Just don't say it's yours. That will really piss me off. I am not in it for the money. I do make some money from it, which is nice. It's time, time is money, but it was never about trying to promote or sell. I should say it was never about selling my my beats to begin with, so I'd like to keep it that way. Anyway, we'll have a shorter episode this time. I know I said that last time and the two times before, but let's just dig right in. Saturday, October 8th. We are recording episode number 16. And today I am going to cover a few things. I said I wanted to cover a happy or more kind of positive person. I, t- I tend to find these people that get kind of missed through history. Usually, it happens around World War One, World War Two type of time frames where there's just so much going on. There's a lot of you know negative news, and these really brilliant people get overlooked or missed. And I'll be covering a Austrian American actress who was married to an Austrian arms dealer who was a Nazi sympathizer, and she ended up getting out of that. And I'll explain her significance and why she is uh, such an incredible person. Later, she also has a really cool story. She has a book out. I haven't read her book. She makes some uh, pretty wild claims in there, but I'd like to believe that uh, you know they're honest and history has kind of worked in her favor. So we'll cover her a little bit later. Let's just cover the markets here. We had spy and the Nasdaq really just kind of implode. I think after all of these rallies, we had two two percent days. And then we just basically ended flat. And really, that was because there was a jobs report that came out on Friday and the market was discounting it. So the market was expecting that these rate hikes would start to affect unemployment. We were at 3.7. And Powell has said himself he is expecting to get into the 4% range, maybe 4.5%, 5%. I actually think we'll have to go probably towards 5%. And this job report comes out and unemployment drops to 3.5. Huge red flag for the Fed. Not what they want to see. People are resilient. They need their jobs to pay. We are seeing the savings rate. We have seen the savings rate drop to about 3%. I am expecting by December that will be zero. And that is the largest drop in the savings rate since 2008. 
and we are seeing the largest increase in credit spending since 2011. And that is, for the most part, a global trend, particularly the case in the UK, where you are seeing people start to really struggle with uh, payments of all sort, mostly uh, energy bills. This week, we are going to cover a tiny bit of the OPEC decision. So let's just dig into that. OPEC met, I was expecting a 1 million barrel cut to production. And how they worded this was a little bit weird. So it was a 2 million barrel production cut to quotas, which isn't 2 million barrels out of the market. That actually translates to about 600,000 barrels because these countries are already struggling to meet their production quotas. So let's just remember that and not sensationalize it like the headlines are here. We have commodity producers that are at a market capitalization of 1 billion or less. And th th this is the uh, point in the commodity capex capital expenditure cycle where these people, these producers are uh, at 2003 levels. And that's really wild because we've seen a bit of a commodity boom, but it is not so much reflected in some of these other commodities. So I will be keeping an eye on that. The zinc, copper, and other metal inventories are insanely low. And some of that is working its way into car parts, auto inventories, and other shortages that are pronounced across the supply chain. I like to be long what the world is short. I like to invest what the world is short of, if that makes any sense. And so I am now kind of looking at these nickel, zinc, copper companies and how much pricing power they have, if they have been sitting on inventory and there's not enough demand destruction to really crush these prices, uh, then these metal costs are going to explode higher. I just kind of only see that as the way out here, but I could be totally wrong on that. Again, not investment advice. Do your own research. And uh, let's just uh, dig into some of this um, froth that we're still seeing in the market. So we have those comments on the last episode from Michael Burry. I went in and uh, looked at some of those companies that he was talking about. He was essentially saying companies of $10 billion or more in market value that are losing a ton of money. So we have Snow, that's a $57 billion company with a 628 million EBITDA loss. We have Uber, they're 56 billion, almost a $1 billion EBITDA loss. And Uber is a little bit of a personal thing for me. I really don't like that because essentially what Uber did was they went public, they fleeced a bunch of retail investors. The stock's down like 60 or 70%. They just raised a ton of debt and they got investors to underwrite their taxi service 
uh, which uh, would never work if they weren't a public company and uh, their balance sheet looks atrocious. So we'll see how Uber comes out of this. It's, uh, it's kind of annoying and, and upsetting to me because when Uber did this, the first thing they did was they came in to a lot of U.S. states where the regulations are more in their favor. Europe's been keeping a, a bit of a closer eye on this and they lowered prices and then they priced out the taxi competition. And then when the taxi companies, there was 15 taxi medallions in New York that killed themselves. They literally committed suicide because their lives were ruined by Uber. And then they went in and raised prices. I don't really like that. You can say it's uh, it's like free market, it's capitalism. No, it's not. If it's being subsidized or it's being underwritten by somebody and they're just racking up huge amounts of debt, then the game will eventually end. So I don't know how that plays out. I still, you know, hate to say it, but I still use Uber from time to time because uh, they're there and uh, they are offering what the market wants. But in terms of their business model, I don't I don't think that's going to work long term. So we'll see how that's going to play out. Last week, we were talking about how I was short some renewable energy companies, particularly in the solar space. And man, what great timing I had on that. Uh, not always the case, but a short activist, short seller group called Muddy Waters came out and released a report on Sunrun and uh, another company called, uh, which trades under the ticker Hasai. I believe that's um, Hannon Armstrong is the name of the company. And they came out and they said Sunrun has an ec- uneconomic business model built on shaky pillars. The equity story is exaggerated subscriber values and gross net earning assets, funding growth through the abuse of tax incentives and abusing ABS that could be ex- that could expose Sunrun to a com- to a bankruptcy. HASI, the accounting is so complex and misleading that the financial statements are effectively meaningless. The company is a prime example of how public market incentives can warp a company into relentless destruction of shareholder value to feed a Wall Street growth narrative. And I agree with that 100%. After the short report came out, some of these companies fell 15, 10, 15%. So they were doing a lot of my work for me. That's kind of already what I suspected, but the timing was fantastic. And I'm not going to name the exact companies that I'm short, but jeez, uh, I mean, some of these things are still trading 60, 70 times earnings. And uh, yeah, good luck with that. I also collected some research for the asset classes during the stagflationary 70s. Remember, stagflation is a combination of rising prices and stagnating growth. That is a really kind of messy macro environment that we haven't seen since the 70s and during that time energy was the top performing asset it was provided eight percent real returns banks surprisingly two percent real returns industrials plus one percent and then technology and a lot of these other companies were uh, negative so we're seeing that now if we compare the s p to the xle which is the energy index that is I believe up 30 or 43%, 30 to 40% this year while the indexes are selling off. And so this is playing out exactly how the 70s played out. And if I had to go long one asset class, then it would probably be the energy and oil producers, not particularly the utilities. 
They just have too much counterparty risk here with these margin calls. So I um, might build another portfolio and just kind of track that. And maybe we can go through that over these episodes and see how the performance has been. But how I have navigated this is about 50, 60% cash. Uh, a lar- I am now net short the market. I have been net short the market for about a week or two. That has been uh, very, very fun. Just looking for these really, really frothy, questionable companies. And there's still a lot of them out there, companies that have benefited massively from COVID that won't have those same benefits. Their earnings will deteriorate. And energy prices going up is basically like a bomb detonating inside the the tech stocks. So that has also worked out really, really well. And uh, on the long side, I like uranium. I like gold. I like some of these precious metals now. I don't have any positions in those particular more like the copper and zinc. I don't have any exposure to that, but I am kind of looking. I think it's nice to uh, dig internationally, so to look into different markets, not just the U.S. Some of those Scandinavian companies look kind of interesting there. And uh, yeah, so I I won't go into uh, all my exact positions, but I do still like the energy, particularly the uh, oil LNG producer space. Plenty of um, opportunity out there if you're willing to flip over stones and do and you know do some good research. I uh, hate that I I started focusing on the short side because it it makes me it, it makes me complacent and, and less likely to uh, to go long. But I I typically like to balance long and short positions out. So um, anyway, we have some news on San Francisco. Their office vacancies are now six times the level of the pre-pandemic. There was a fantastic article that came out some time ago. It was a macro research fund. I'll see if I can post uh, the link for that in the show notes here. And they have reported that office rates are now, uh, office vacancy rates in San Francisco are now 25%. That is absolutely insane. That is one in four office buildings in San Francisco are now vacant. And that was really a lot of those tech companies that got in there, the cheap financing that were, you know, running their running their show. Some of that is the work from home movement, too. And, uh, you know, during the start of the pandemic, that was only four percent vacancy. So, wow, just a huge, huge increase there that will undoubtedly affect San Francisco's budgeting, their revenues. And uh, it, it could be um, could spell trouble for the city if it hasn't already. Another little interesting tidbit I found here was I was digging through some of the Gazprom shareholder letters and investor uh, investor notices. And I found this one from July 14th, 2011. They said the power industry is one of our main priorities in Europe. In light of recent decisions by the German government to reduce nuclear power, we see good prospects for the construction of new modern gas powered uh, gas-fired power plants in Germany. Really interesting because Schultz was uh, on the uh, the board of Gazprom, you know, the German ambassador. And geez, what a mess, man. I mean, these guys had been, this looks like it had been in the works for 10, 15 years. No surprises there. Anyway, now we have German production inflation at 40%. That is the highest forward-looking production inflation since 19, ready for it, 23 not a fun year for germany they're gonna have to figure this out i think it just moves towards an industrial depression i'm just gonna call it what it is i don't know if it's a deflationary or inflationary depression 
but with numbers like this, it, it doesn't really give me the warm and fuzzies. side of the house we had uh, unemployment down to 3.5 as I said earlier but an alarming statistic came out that K through 12 educators lost 21,000 workers in September there are now 309,000 fewer teachers than pre-pandemic so we are seeing uh, the, the educational you know staff shortages are really booming and uh, that is uh, for the most part a European trend as well. What else do we have here? I uh, really like to dig through reports and look for some old names of people that have uh, caused problems and get this. So Apollo, which is a, a large German firm, I believe they work in real estate, has named former German regulator chief, senior advisor, um, a guy named Huffeld. Now, if you don't know who Huffeld is, he was the Boffin Bavarian finance regulator who was uh, forced out following the collapse of Wirecard. He came under fire for failing to spot any wrongdoing uh, during the implosion um, of the largest fraud in, in German history. So this guy just kind of sneaking his way into a, uh, you know, a large finance firm here. Nothing to see there. I'll probably short the shit out of that company. Uh, just putting more of these idiots in uh, stacking their stacking their deck with uh, with people who who are you know basically paid to to look away. One thing that kind of made me laugh was uh, uh, Belarus. Belarus uh, has uh, the leader there has banned consumer price rises in a bid to tame inflation. It's kind of it's I don't even know what to say about that. It's like. We won't have inflation because I'm making inflation illegal. Well, good luck with that, sir. I have uh, one woman I wanted to cover, and her name is um, Petey Lamar. So she was born 1914. She was an Austrian-born American film actress and inventor. She basically came up during Hollywood's golden age, and she has been described as one of the greatest movie actresses of all time. So she has quite a few things that she's done here. First of all, she started her career in uh, Czechoslovakia uh, in a movie that was wildly controversial that came out in 1933 called Ecstasy. And she was at the time known to be the first woman to portray the female orgasm on a, uh, on, on a movie, really. So. Um, it wasn't like an, an adult movie by any means. It was just a regular type of uh, romantic drama. And uh, it was highly, highly controversial. It was quite ahead of its time. Um, just a lot of that kind of girl power shit going on there. And uh, so she ended up meeting this wealthy Austrian ammunition manufacturer. Essentially, she, she meets this, um, this guy who's like a, a Nazi sympathizer. She was from an upper class Hungarian Jewish family, and this guy was a you know a weapons weapons dealer. She was attracted to him. He was like you know really 
charismatic and so on. Uh, Carl, Carl Kirsch is his name. She was 18. He was 33. And, uh, you know, he was wildly controlling. Uh, we'll just call him Mandel. It's a little bit easier for me to pronounce. So he had ties to the um, fascist party and was selling munitions to the Italians. But his father was also Jewish, uh, which I find kind of interesting as he still kind of snuggled up with the Nazis there. He would meet with a bunch of the scientists and professionals that were involved in military technology. And what I find interesting about this was that Hedy was in love with science and the idea of inventing new technology. So she would go to these conferences and she would talk with some of these top professors and inventors, and it really helped nurture her, um, her talent in sciences. So eventually what happened was Mandel became too controlling. He basically had her like locked in the house. She was you know, stifled and uh, she had a maid that was like, you know, basically uh, paid to look over her and just kind of keep her hostage for the most part. Anyway, in um, Hedy's account, she wrote that she drugged the maid and then uh, basically stole her clothes and escaped the house uh, pretending to be the maid, which is uh, enter entertaining to, um, to, say the, to say the least. So she gets out, she gets out of um, Austria to, uh, to Paris. And then from Paris, she ends up meeting um, the head of uh, or one of the production executives from MGM, one of these like Hollywood companies. And uh, she goes, she starts getting a, a taste for the U.S. film industry. And while she's there, although she had no formal training, she had been mostly self-taught. She started working on different ideas, which included a traffic stoplight and a tablet that would dissolve into water to create a uh, carbonated beverage. The, the beverage was uh, really unsuccessful. It was said that it tasted just like Alka-Seltzer. But what's actually more interesting was that she had read about radio-controlled torpedoes and enemies might be able to jam torpedoes because of the guidance system and some of these uh, frequencies that are used inside them. But she had worked with a friend and a pianist named George Antheil and they were working together to create radio-hopping signal technology that would prevent torpedoes' radio guidance systems from being jammed. So her and this kind of, uh, you know, like servant pianist are working together and uh, this uh, th they create this radio hopping uh, or frequency hopping technology that would uh, become it would become the basis of what's inside Bluetooth and GPS technology. These uh, methods were very similar to the CDMA and Wi-Fi systems that we use today. And so I just think this is brilliant, right? So this woman who is basically uh, married to a moron escapes and uh, and creates this incredible technology with uh, with another guy, uh, um, you know, spectrum audio frequency technology, and they uh, they the patents that she that she created are today what's inside Bluetooth and GPS technology. So her name was uh, Hedy Lamar. She lived until uh, 85 and 2000. She was in Florida. And I just think that's really cool. I think when you when you go through history, sometimes you, uh, you know, you tend to focus on the bad stuff, the, the dark and gruely stuff. But there's some really interesting people who we miss. And so I had no idea who that was 
Um, I love the, the, you know, the inventor mind, the brilliant kind of people like that, no formal background in those things. And just think about how much Bluetooth and GPS have changed our lives, whether that's uh, ATC, you know, air traffic control, or, you know, when you're driving in your car, we have to thank her. I, I you know, when I, I go on road trips quite a bit, I have to uh, silently nod now to um, some of the, the patents that she's put into this technology that gave us the things that we have today. So that's really interesting. Again, as I said, a bit of a shorter episode today, nothing too crazy. I just wanted to cover those uh, recent short reports that came out, how asset classes perform during stagflationary environments, poor inflation print coming next week. I think the market will be really volatile heading into this. If the market does the same thing that it did on Friday and it discounts a potentially sticky higher core inflation or CPI, this should be CPI, which is sometimes called the headline inflation print, then uh, you know if we get still where it is or if it's even higher, uh, I would expect more, more carnage here with a 20 to 30% reduction in earnings kind of across the board here based on energy costs and marginal compression for profits. I wouldn't be surprised to see 31, 3200 on SPY. And if something really breaks, uh, you know, then we'll have to address that a little bit later. But I think the uncertainty is in the manufacturing component of Europe and how they get through next winter. This winter won't be the one that bites. We had the CEO of Reve, German, uh, you know, a grocery conglomerate here. Uh, said this one's not the the one that's uh, difficult. It's next one, and I tend to agree with that. I like to listen to the people who have good eyes on business and cost. You probably heard that I shifted my production a bit more towards the the type of music that you might hear in a club at four in the morning or something. Sometimes I like to do that. I like to try and get in the head. Of, uh, of a producer who is really going for a set emotion. And one way that you can get in touch with that is one by just kind of listening to the music, you know, picturing a music video in your head or something, a certain type of emotion or, or, or vibe to a, to a groove or rhythm or melody, whatever it might be. And then the other way, and I tend to like this, I haven't done this in a long time, so maybe I'll do this, is to try and create a focal point for an album whether it's like a hip hop album or a, uh, you know, just a relaxing album or a techno or whatever genre it might be. It's fun to try and focus your thoughts around that particular idea. And so maybe I'll see if I can do something like that. I don't know if I really have enough time to be bouncing out albums or EPs or anything. But uh, it's certainly fun to think about, and I'll see if I can come up with some, uh, some new ideas. So, thanks for everything. Thanks for listening. Much love, and catch you on the next episode.
This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing I say should be construed as investment advice. And some of the securities I talk about may be actively held.